Well, if you were with us last week, you know um, that God called Jonah to do something really difficult. He called Jonah to go to the Assyrian Empire. This is 8th century BC. The Assyrian Empire, which was the up and coming world power of that day. And not only that, he called Jonah, um, who, by the way, was a prophet to the 10 northern tribes of Israel, but he called him to specifically go to Nineveh, which was a massive city in the Assyrian Empire with some 600,000 people. As I've said before, the Assyrians were infamous for their cruelty and their inhumanity and violence against other nations. And they were also, and you gotta get this to understand um, the book of Jonah. They were also, the Assyrian Empire, they were the bitter enemies of Israel. And so God said to Jonah, in Jonah chapter one, verse two, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So what in the world is this proud and patriotic um, Israelite gonna do? Well, you know, because we've been talking about it now for three weeks. He thought to himself, there's no way. I am not going into enemy territory. I'm not gonna go to Nineveh. And instead of getting on a camel and heading northeast to Nineveh, he gets on a boat and he heads due west to what we would call um, these days southern Spain. He's on his way out into the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. But what he forgot was this. I mentioned this last week. You can run from God, but you cannot hide. You can run from God, but you can't hide. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear this about the true God. Our true God is not just omnipotent, he's not just omniscient, he's also omnipresent. What does that mean? That God is omnipotent, he's all powerful. God is omniscient, he's all knowing. And God is also omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere at the same time. Our God, our monotheistic God, the Lord, he is God. Here, this is a little bit about the Lord. He is transcendent above and he's also eminent within his space-time material universe that he created that he spoke into existence. Now God is not the universe, we're not pantheists, right? God is as different from the universe as an artist is from his painting. But you need to know that our God is all powerful, he's all knowing, and he's everywhere at the same time. That means that no matter if you're running from God, no matter what direction you go in, guess what? He's always there, and he's probably smiling and waving at you. Right, you can run from God, but you can't hide from our God. By the way, God is also infinite. What does that mean? He's all in all. This is one of the many reasons we believe in one God, because you can't have two alls. All is all. God is infinite. God is one. I want you to try to put yourself in the sandals of this prodigal Prophet, I want you to try to go back in time and try to be there um, in the story. Can you see Jonah? There he is. He's down at Joppa on the Mediterranean coast. There he is, luggage in hand. He's waiting to get on board this ship. He wants to get out of town. He's already paid the fare. And once he gets the nod to come on the ship, he's tired. 
How many of you guys know that running from God can make you tired? And so he goes on the boat, he goes down to the lower level, he lies down. The boat is gently rocking back and forth, his eyelids are getting heavy, and the next thing you know, Jonah fell fast asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonah fell asleep physically. But here's what you need to know. A while back, he had already fallen asleep spiritually. Jonah was unresponsive to God. But how many of you guys know that God has a way of waking up sleepy believers? Listen, God knows how to wake up sleepy believers. And so what does he do? Well, we look at verse four, and it says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. You see, what Jonah didn't count on was this. God was just as determined to get Jonah to obey as his prophet was to run away. Now again, as I said last week, this is a battle of the wills. Who do you think is gonna win the battle? God, why? Because God's sovereign, Jonah's not. (laughs) You see, not only is God omnipotent, not only is he omniscient, not only is he omnipresent, God is sovereign. What does that mean? He's in control. That means that God is large and he is in charge and God does whatever he pleases. And so in this particular case, God willed that Jonah go to Nineveh and preach repentance to the pagans that God loved. And God was so determined to get Jonah to obey, he was even willing to send a storm in order to get his sleepy prophet's attention. And so again, put yourself in the story. You're on the boat, right? The wind is howling. The the waves are crashing over onto the ship. The rain is coming down in sheets, right? The, the, The ship is reeling. And what is God doing? God is getting ready to have the full attention of Jonah. Now, before we continue with the story, we always have to apply the Bible to our lives, right? And so let's talk about why. Why did Jonah experience the storm? We started talking about this um, last week. Remember I I told you that God didn't send the storm to pay back Jonah. He he brought the storm, yes, to bring back Jonah. But if you're taking notes, um, I'm gonna give you just two reasons this morning of why the prodigal prophet experienced the storm. And so number one, it's because the Lord wanted to get Jonah's attention and remind him of the one who was really in charge. And by the way, it's not Jonah. And so again, God says, go. Jonah crosses his arms, digs in his feet. He says, no. And God says, okay, and he sends a storm, right? And so Jonah, as he's crossing his arms, he thinks he's in charge until now all of a sudden he realizes how small he is when he wakes up here in a moment, he's gonna realize how small he is because of this um, um, severe storm that's coming down on the boat. Again, how many of you guys know God knows how to get our attention? And so let me just say to you who may be fighting against God's will, it's a great day in a prodigal's life 
And by the way, it's a great day in any of our lives when we finally realize that the Lord is the boss and we are not. That was so good and only five people said amen. I'm gonna say it again. It is a great day in the prodigal's life and it's a great day in any of our lives when we realize that the Lord is the boss and we are not the boss. Amen. Yeah, that's how we should say it, amen. And so again, those of you who, are, who may be fighting against God's will, let me ask you something, are you tired? Are you tired of fighting against God? Now listen, you may be mad at God this morning. Why don't you just go tell him? Don't keep suppressing it, don't keep pushing it down, don't keep running from the Lord, why don't you just go to him and tell him? Now of course, be respectful, but here's what you need to know when you go and talk to God. He's always right, we're always wrong. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, God can't be wrong, he's God. He has no capacity for error, he has no capacity for evil, he's a perfect God. So just know that in the back of your mind. But listen, if you need to talk to God, if you need to vent, he's got big shoulders, just go vent. But just know, have that mindset. That listen, we're fallen and he's perfect and change your view of God. He's not against you, God is for you. And so here's my encouragement. If you're fighting against God, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just drop your boxing gloves and fall on your knees before him? Listen, the sooner that you acknowledge and accept the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, the better off you're gonna be. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote about, right? In the classic passage in Philippians chapter two, therefore God has highly exalted him, right? The Father has exalted the Son and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of, can you guys shout out his name? Jesus, how many knees? Every, not just some, every knee, including the knees of prodigals. And every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now on the count of three, I want you to say like you mean it, Jesus Christ is Lord. We're gonna do this together, you ready? One, two, three, go. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now doesn't that ring true? And by the way, that is offensive to all the foul demons in the air. But you, know, you need to know it's true. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the sooner we accept that, the better off we're gonna be. So the question is, before we move on, just answer it in your heart. Have you bowed your knee? Have you bowed your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If not, what are you waiting for? Listen, he's a good God. He's an awesome savior. And did you know that he's, he promised, uh, he's promised to forgive you? He's promised to give you rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. You're gonna find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you guys would say, I have experienced the forgiveness and the love and the rest of Jesus Christ, and I would encourage you to come home if you're running from him. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. He's a good God. 
stop listening to the wrong voice of the enemy who wants to tell you that God is wrong or God um, is harsh or that God is against you and not for you. You're listening to the wrong voice. Why did Jonah experience the storm? Another reason, number two, is because the Lord knew that the best place for his prophet was in the center of God's will. And by the way, that's the best place for any of us. Right smack dab in the middle of God's will, whatever that may be for you. And so when a prodigal finally stops running, right, so you got a prodigal for whatever reason, whatever happened, that that person is running from the Lord. When they finally start to understand the true God, the true nature, the true character of the Lord, that God is for them and not against them, he's promised them rest and forgiveness, and they turn around, right, and they, 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 they come back home, here's what they're gonna find. They're gonna find that, wow, this is the place of blessing. This is the place that I need to be in. And so how many of you guys believe that God wants to bless his children? Do you really believe that? Like, I'm, I'm talking about core belief down in your heart. Do you really believe that God wants to bless his kids? I would say, of course he does. What dad doesn't want to bless his kids? Right, if we, guys, if we as fallen fathers want to bless our kids, how much more a perfect, infinite, heavenly father, how much more does he want to bless his children? Listen to this, even his wayward children. God's heart is to bless. And so if we go forward in time, from the time of Jonah, right? Jonah, um, eighth century BC, probably around 760 uh, BC. But if you go forward about 150 years, now you come to uh, what's called the Babylonian captivity. So Jonah is a prophet, remember, of the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Eventually they're taken away by the Assyrian Empire. But then you have this southern tribe called Judah. And so if you go forward from the time of Jonah, you come to a place where Judah, Um, The the people in and around Jerusalem, right? Uh, God's people, what do they do? They continue to sin, they continue to rebel against the Lord, and so the um, kingdom of Babylon comes. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. They come, and it's called the Babylonian captivity. They take the Jews in Judah away to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And so here's what's amazing. Jeremiah the prophet comes on the scene, and Jeremiah the prophet, in uh, Jeremiah 29.10, he talks about how the Lord says that this um, captivity, God says this through Jeremiah, is gonna be 70 years, and then, even after Judah's carried away to Babylon, the loving Lord says this to his wayward people. You guys have heard of this verse, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of, can you guys say the next word, please? You see it? Do you see the heart of God? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And just like God prophesied through Jeremiah in the verse before that, verse 10, that they would be in Babylon for 70 years, guess what? 
This is one of the reasons we understand and know that this Bible is supernatural because of fulfilled prophecy. There's hundreds of them. Guess what? They're there for 70 years and God's people came home to Judea, to Jerusalem. But I want, I want to emphasize the fact that God's heart towards his people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, his heart for us is for our welfare. He wants to give us a bright future. He wants to give us a sure hope. And so if you're a prodigal and you're running from the Lord, my encouragement to you is this, why don't you just come home? Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus gave the, the, the um, parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son soon found out when he wanted to go his own way and do his own thing, he soon found out that the place of blessing is not in the pig pen. The place of blessing is back at the father's house. And when he finally dawned on him that truth and he started to come home, he didn't find a father who's angry and harsh and pointing his finger and yelling at his son. He finds a father who's full of compassion and is running to his son. That is the accurate heart of our God towards us as his people and even toward wayward children. Come home. The father's arms are open wide. Come home. And you want to shout that to Jonah. Jonah, what are you doing? Man, you're messing up, go back to the father. He says no, so a severe storm comes and the ship that he's in is about to break up. Now, this is a bad storm. And how do the mariners respond in verse five? Please look at it. Yes, we are making progress in chapter one. So we'll be, we'll be done with Jonah in Christmas of 2022. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It says in verse five, if you're looking at verse five, can you say amen? Okay, then the mariners, severe storm, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, little g, right? So these are polytheistic pagans crying out to false gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone, what's the word? There it is again, that's, that's the direction, right? We know this by now. It's the direction when we run from the Lord, down, 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 right? So, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the mariners, man, they're freaking out and Jonah's snoring. The mariners, they're crying out to their false gods, but Jonah had determined earlier, I am no longer praying to the true God. And so Jonah needed a wake-up call. Jonah needed an intervention. Those of you guys who know uh, prodigals, maybe you have a loved one who's a prodigal, uh, just know that that prodigal needs an intervention. Now wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> but when, when that time comes and you need to speak into that person's life, listen, speak the truth in love. But Jonah needed somebody to speak the truth in love and it's very interesting, he needed an alarm. God is setting off the alarm through the storm and the captain <laughs> is gonna uh, set off an alarm as well. Look at verse six now. So the captain came and said to him, can you imagine him shouting over the, the, the sound of the storm? What do you mean, sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call 
call to your God, perhaps the God, you know, inference that you serve, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so the wind is howling, the ship is reeling, Jonah's downstairs, he's snoring. The captain is like, I'm gonna go down and find out what happened to that one guy. He goes down there, he sees Jonah is sleeping, and he's like, hey, it's time to get up, we're in trouble. There's a really bad storm, and Jonah's kind of waking up, he's like rubbing his eyes. He's like, pray to your God, maybe your God will hear us, maybe your God will save us. Now how ironic is this? I mean, who's the prophet and who's the pagan? But who's calling who to call out to God? See the irony here? So Jonah's a prophet. He's supposed to be calling other people to call out to the Lord, the one true God. And yet here you have a polytheistic pagan and he's calling on Jonah to call out to the Lord. Very interesting. It's a very sad day, quick side note. When an unbeliever has to call us out as believers. It's a very sad day in the life of a Christian when an unbeliever, you know, kind of senses our spiritual slumber, our lack of prayer, maybe our uh, wrong behavior, and they gotta call us out, like, like that person at work who looks at one of us and says, I thought you were a Christian, and you're doing that, right? I'll just keep moving on now after encouraging everybody with that. So the storm's getting worse. Again, put yourself in the pages of the Bible. The storm is getting worse. The ship is about to break up. And the mariners, these sailors, they're about to go down. Why? Why is all this happening? One reason. Jonah's disobedience. Jonah's disobedience is having a negative effect on other people. And that leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, if we run from God, there will be a ripple effect. Now the number one reason that prodigals should come home is because the Father is a loving God and that's what would glorify your creator, your sustainer, your savior. But there's other reasons prodigals should come home as well, this is one of them. If we run from God, there's gonna be a ripple effect. I looked up the phrase ripple effect. Here's what the dictionary says. Quote, the continuing and spreading results of an event or action. All right, and so here, here's the idea. You throw a rock in a pond, and what happens, what's the result? There's a ripple effect. So what I'm trying to say here is that if we choose to run from God, or we choose to commit certain sins, right, as we're running from God, Here's what we gotta accept. There's going to be a ripple effect. There's gonna be consequences and we're not the only ones who are gonna suffer the consequences. Now I know I'm gonna get a little bit, you know, um, uh, I can't even think of the word, but it's, I'm gonna get serious. I'm gonna get a little bit serious here, but it's all from a heart of love, so don't misunderstand my heart. But when a spouse chooses to have an affair, who suffers? Not just the spouse. <laughs> he or she's gonna suffer, believe me. And by the way, so much of TV is such a fantasy. How they glamorize affairs and they, 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 they make it look like it's something fun to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been in ministry for a really long time. 
And, and I know this, it's a mess. It's terrible. And so who suffers? Well, the whole family ends up suffering if a spouse chooses to have an affair. Why? There's a ripple effect. If a parent chooses to yell and scream and verbally abuse and belittle their children, who suffers? Well, after that parent gets over uh, his or her anger, well, they're gonna feel guilty, they're gonna have some suffering, but, but listen, the kid's gonna suffer. And so moms and dads, please hear me. Stop, stop yelling and screaming and cursing at and belittling and verbally abusing your child. This is not good. This is not what Christians do. Why? Because listen, if you're not careful, that little kid, they may internalize what you're saying and they may accept as a core belief, I am worthless. You don't want that to happen with your little kid. You don't want them to make that a core belief in their heart because listen, that's a ripple effect and it may take therapy years later to help your kid break the bondage of the lie that they're worthless. So moms and dads, listen. Listen, if, if my, my, my wife and I, uh, we raised uh, three girls. They're all adults now. They love the Lord. And um, thank God, right, as of right now, um, and I hope this continues, they, li they live here in town and um, they, they want to be around us. I love that. That's a good thing, right? But if I could just give one parenting advice um, after my wife and I, by God's grace and God's help, um, with his help and grace, he gets the glory, successfully raised three daughters. Here's my one parenting advice, and that is this. Good parenting is the right mixture of love and discipline. Good parenting. Yeah. Good parenting is the right mixture of love and discipline. What does that mean? That means as a parent, you and I are called to discipline our kids. We have to. We're not primarily called to be their friend. We're primarily called to be their parent. So we have to discipline. And sometimes the discipline has to be firm. But here, here's what I want to also say. It's a right mixture of love and discipline. And so there should be so many experiences in that little kid's life, positive experiences with mom and dad that's just filled and dripping with love, 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 that when they have to be disciplined, when you have to be firm with them, this is so ginormous over here that they're gonna be okay. And so I wanna encourage you guys, listen, please, for the sake of your kids, please, if you're yelling and screaming and cursing and belittling um, your child, please, please, please repent of that uh, for God's glory and for the sake of your kid. But there's a ripple effect. If someone starts using drugs, who suffers? Not just that person, as their world spins out of control, but everybody who loves them in their circle why, there's a ripple effect. When a person gets behind the wheel after they've been drinking and crashes and kills someone, who suffers? So many people, right? I think you guys are getting the idea. And so, listen, how many loved ones have actually cried themselves to sleep 
because of the ripple effect caused by the poor choices of a prodigal. How many loved ones have soaked their pillows with tears, cried and cried because of the consequences that have come in? And so if you're running from God this morning, if you're living a reckless life this morning, I just want you to answer a question in your heart. Are you really okay that your loved ones are hurting because of your decisions? Is that really okay with you? And and I know, you might be saying, I never intended that. Listen, I only want my decisions to affect me. But, But here's the problem, they don't just affect you. They affect everybody who loves you. And so, yes, the main reason we should come home if we're prodigals is because God is good and he needs to be glorified. But this is another reason that's really effective, and that is, man, also do it for the sake of those who love you. Because when you throw a rock in a pond, there's a ripple effect. When you choose to run from God and behave in certain ways, there is a ripple effect. The captain says to Jonah, hey, sleeper, wake up, call on your God. And now Jonah's waking up, and the ship is reeling, the water's coming in, the wind is howling, and ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you, the first thought, after he finally wakes up, he's fully um, conscious, he's cognizant, right? I guarantee you, the first thought, as he's experiencing the storm, the first thought Jonah has is, "Uh uh-oh, he found me. He found me. Now, you think Jonah's gonna say anything right now? No, he's not gonna incriminate himself. But how many of you guys know that God has a way in his sovereignty to get us to a place where we have to fess up? And that's what's gonna happen now in verse seven. So please look at verse seven. It says, and they, the mariners, said to one another, come and let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on who? Jonah. Now, I gotta park here, because I know a lot of you are new to the Bible, and you're thinking, casting lots, okay, what is all that? I really do wanna help us understand this from a New Testament, age of grace context, okay? And so casting lots in Old Testament times was a common way for the Israelites to try to determine God's will. And according to verse seven, it was also widely practiced by pagans and their false religions as well. But, But God, right, at times in the Old Testament with his covenant people Israel, sometimes he allowed the casting of lots. We don't know the method that these mariners used So maybe it was they got some rocks, one rock for every soaked sailor and Jonah, and they marked one rock, they put them all in a box, closed the lid, shook it up, and then everybody one by one picks a rock, and the one who's got the marked rock is the one who's responsible for the storm. Maybe, maybe that's how they cast lots, maybe they drew straws, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Regarding the casting of lots, even though God allowed it at times for the Israelites in the Old Testament, there's no instruction for Christians to ever do this in the New Testament. So if you're taking notes, I wanna encourage you, uh, we'll put it up on the screen, there is no need for New Covenant believers to cast lots to determine God's will. And so, This is important, right? We're talking about God's will, understanding how to discern God's will. That's why I'm kind of pausing here for just a moment 
as we um, think this through at a deeper level. So you guys are aware, right, that in the Bible there are prescriptive passages and then there's descriptive passages? In other words, descriptive passages. You may be reading um, in the Old Testament a passage that just describes a situation and there is no prescriptive command for you to do anything. But then you may be um, reading the next day somewhere in the New Testament and Jesus Christ gives a commandment. Well, that's prescriptive. And what is our response when we read that? He's the boss, we're not. Yes, sir. And we try to live out the word of God. And so having said all that, what I say, what I wanna say now is that in Acts chapter one, there is a descriptive passage where the apostles, after Judas killed himself, are casting lots to determine who's gonna replace Judas as an apostle. It's a descriptive passage and they're just doing the best they can. Um, they're, they're doing what they know to do. That's Acts one. How many of you guys are really thankful for Acts two? I am. I tell you what, as a guy um, who believes strongly in the age of grace and the church age and that the church was born in Acts chapter two, I just love Acts chapter two because after Jesus went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit of God. And ladies and gentlemen, what did the Holy Spirit do? He permanently indwelt and empowered the disciples in Acts chapter two. And after that, you never again see the practice of casting lots in the Bible. So what is our present day application? Our present day application, if you're listening to me, say amen here. Amen. Now that we have a completed Bible, and now that we have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling inside of us, there is no need to cast lots to determine God's will. Does that make sense to you guys? So God, primarily reveals his will through his word. The Bible says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So that's how he primarily reveals his word, but he also reveals his word through his indwelling spirit. Colossians chapter three says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You've heard me say this before, the word rule can be defined as umpire. Modern day example, just as an umpire leads a baseball game, so we need to let the Holy Spirit inside lead us. How does he sometimes do that? His peace, the peace of Christ. And I'm not saying it at all, this happens a lot in my life, but every once in a while, there's a peace. And I know God is leading in this direction. How many of you guys believe that the Holy Spirit still leads today? I hope you do, <laughs> I really hope you do, right? Because none of this happens without the Holy Spirit. None of the blessings that we see in our local church happens without the Holy Spirit moving and leading and working in our lives and he wants to lead us. Now I have to say this as well, I'm really pumping the brakes here because I wanna make, make sure everybody understands me. If you think the Spirit is leading you to do something, you gotta remember two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit never contradicts his word. So if you think he's leading you to do something and that something um, violates the word of God, just know this is not God leading me. And so how many of you guys believe that the Bible, the scriptures, are our final authority for all matters of faith and practice? Right? This is what we believe as evangelicals. 
This is what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, that the Bible is the final authority um, in all matters of faith and practice. And so not our experiences, but the word of God is the final authority. And we've got to come to the place as we're growing in Christ where we're able to differentiate between the peace of Christ, the real peace of Christ, which never, ever contradicts the Bible, and our human emotions, which sometimes will absolutely mislead us. The second thing I wanna share with you guys that it's wise if you think God is leading you to do something to speak to a spiritually mature believer. Let them pray with you so that through prayer they can either confirm or deny what you think God is calling you to do. I remember last year we were in a tough situation. I'm not gonna give details, but um, I believe the Lord uh, through his leading uh, for a while was leading us to do something, but it didn't look like it was gonna happen. We went down and talked to a board member. The board member looked at us and said, go for it. We went for it, and guess what? God blessed. So I wanna encourage you guys, you have that person in your life, that spiritually mature believer. So I'll sum it up with this and we'll move on. We have a completed Bible, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we have the prayer support of mature Christians. What does that mean? That means we do not cast lots. And so please don't do this. I gotta find out what God wants me to do. I'm just gonna open my Bible. You know that could be very dangerous to just open your Bible. Don't do that. Don't draw straws. Don't throw the dice. Listen to the Lord. All right, so in verse seven, in the context of Jonah's story, they said, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. All right, so now all the soaked sailors, they're staring at Jonah, and guess what? He's been cornered. He doesn't want to, but he needs to speak. Verse eight, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? (laughs) And what people are you from? And he finally speaks. I'm a Hebrew. He's finally doing what a prophet's supposed to do. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And there is no doubt in my mind, ladies and gentlemen, that these mariners knew about God, the true God. They had heard of the God of Israel. They're seasoned sailors. They had gone from port to port to port to port around the Mediterranean Sea. They had plenty of Israelites in the past on their boat. They had heard of the true God of Israel, Yahweh. They had heard the the stories, no doubt, that God, this God, had parted the Red Sea after bringing 10 plagues on the Egyptians. He's the one who led the children of Israel through the wilderness. He's the one who caused the walls of Jericho to fall flat. He's the one that gave them the the promised land. He's the one who united the kingdom under David. Yeah, we remember him. He's the one who extended the kingdom through Solomon. Yeah, we remember him. He's the one who's performed so many miracles. They had heard of the God of Israel, and the Bible's not telling us everything that Jonah said. No doubt Jonah said a lot more, and so now they know the God of Israel is causing the storm, and I want you now to look at verse 11. So they said to him, what shall we do to you 
that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up. This is one of those SMH verses here. You just shake my head. What are you talking about, Jonah? Pick me up, hurl me in the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And I read that and I think, Jonah, are you crazy? (laughs) What in the world, you got a death wish or something? Why won't you just repent? You keep taking the hard road. Jonah, this is easy. Just go back down where you're snoring a little while ago, fall on your knees before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'll go. I don't want to, but I'll go to Nineveh and I'll preach repentance. Don't you guys understand that if Jonah would have repented right then in that boat, the storm would have stopped. The mariners would have been, whoa, what's going on here? And then he could have said, hey guys, um, that was the Lord, and could you turn around and take me back to Israel because I have an assignment to do. If he would have done that, there would have been a wind so strong, that boat would have got back to Joppa in record time. Why? Because God's for us, he's not against us. But what is Jonah doing here? He's crossing his arms, right? And instead of surrendering to God's will, he hardens his heart and he prepares to die. What is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. Jonah is a proud, patriotic Israelite and he hated his enemies, the Ninevites, so much he would rather drown at sea than go and preach to them. That's what's going on. And what's the current day application of that? I think you guys know. We covered it enough, right? In uh, Sessions one and two, or for the first two uh, studies in Jonah, we covered this. But ladies and gentlemen, here's what I know. Um, We love our country, right? We love America. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. I got my flag at my house. There's nothing wrong with loving your country. But here's, here's what I know. There are enemies of America in the world today. You see them on TV. They're burning the flag in the streets. They're shouting death to America. And it's not just Um, that group, there's lots of other groups that absolutely hate America. And so here's my question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Thank you, one person. So I'll ask it again. Is there any followers of Jesus Christ in the house? Yeah. So how many of you guys know that Jesus preached something called the Sermon on the Mount? And the Sermon on the Mount, he said, love your enemies. So what does that mean? That means that those people who are burning the flag, shouting death to America, were Christians, were supposed to love them. Not hate them, not be bitter toward them, not be angry at them, not to emulate Jonah, but to emulate Jesus. Now, having said that, because I wanna rightly divide the word of truth, give you the whole counsel of God, God does ordain governments, God does ordain military, and the military's job is to protect its citizens, right? And so I thank God for every single one of you who have served your country. I thank God for every one of you who wears a badge and and, and is a police officer and protects us. Can we thank all of them right now, right? So, I get all that, I understand all of that. 
But ladies and gentlemen, the question I have for you in your heart, do you really love your enemies? Or do you have a heart like Jonah, where you're bitter and angry? And listen, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, but we have got to get to a place where we're not like Jonah, who'd rather drown at sea than go and preach to his enemies. And so sadly, he's got a hard heart, and he's hardening it even more. And God is still for Jonah. God still wants to reach Jonah. He still wants him to come home. So what's he gonna do? He's going to turn up the discipline meter. <laughs> All right, so what's the disciplinary tool? What's the next step for Jonah? It's right underneath the boat. We're gonna see that next week, but we gotta finish this week. All right, so we're almost done. Please look at verse 13. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so even though Jonah's sin had put these guys in harm's way, they don't wanna hurt Jonah. And so they're like, come on, we can beat the storm. Row harder, row harder. And the harder they rowed, the stronger the storm was. And so what did they do? They began to call out on the one who caused the storm. Look at verse 14. It says, therefore they called out to their little G gods. Is that what it says here? You see how much God loves people? He's, he's working in this situation too. Therefore they called out on the Lord. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. I shouldn't be giggling here, but it's, anyway. And the sea ceased from its raging. Can you guys see this, right? The wind is howling, the ship is reeling, the rain's coming down. They go over to Jonah, his eyes are like this big. And they just, sorry dude, they put him down, they grab him. All right, there you one, two, three. And there's Jonah like, ah, right? He hits the wave. And the moment he hits the sea, everything calms down. What do you call that? You call that a miracle of the true God. If he can speak a universe into existence, he can calm a sea. He did in the Old Testament, he did in the New Testament through Jesus Christ as well. It's a stunning, stunning miracle. And now we hit the last verse, verse 16. And then the men, the mariners, feared the Lord. I love that. Exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. You see, after the stunning miracle, the mariners, they went from polytheism to monotheism in a flash. When they saw everything got calm, they're like, the Lord, he is God. So it's not just going from polytheism to monotheism, no. It's, it's even better than that. I personally believe that these guys put their personal trust in the true God of Israel. Just like Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? Back in Genesis, the father of the faithful? The father of faith, Abraham? You know, he, did you guys know he was a polytheistic pagan before the Lord revealed himself to Abraham? And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I personally think, though I know there's some who disagree, I think these guys uh, put their personal trust in the true God right here. You say, how do you know for sure? I don't, God knows for sure. 
Um, but here's what I want you to know. If you're listening, say amen. amen. While only God can see the heart, we can see the fruit. We can see fruit. And in this case, we see the mariner's faith was manifested by the fruit of worship because they offer a sacrifice and they made vows to the Lord. And so I think we're gonna see these guys in heaven someday. But isn't that the heart of God? That's the heart of God. And so in closing, the story of Jonah has got these miracles. What is God doing? He's proving his existence. Now, he does it by silencing a severe storm. Next week, an even greater miracle, <laughs> he is going to allow Jonah to be swallowed by a great fish, and Jonah's gonna be in that watery grave for three days, three nights, and then he's going to come out. Now, which New Testament miracle does the story of Jonah point to? Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's your last slide. As Jonah was, this is, by the way, this is Jesus talking. So those of you who may be skeptical and say, how do you know this is not a myth? Because Jesus said it happened. And ladies and gentlemen, anybody who dies and walks out of a grave three days later, whatever he says, I believe it. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then what happened? Well, Paul tells us, and then I'm done. Paul said to the church at Corinth, this is the gospel right here. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, this is AD 55, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ loves you. He paid for your sins in full on the cross of Calvary. And then he rose from the dead three days later. My prayer, my hope, is that if you never have turned to Christ, that you'll will today, that you'll receive Christ as the Savior and the Lord of your life. And then after you're saved, you'll get baptized in water and you'll begin to follow him for the rest of your life. The best place to be is right in the middle of God's will. I love you guys. Marielle's gonna come close us out.